Have you ever wondered if there really is a transformative power that can take you from the depths of despair and misery to a place of fulfillment and purpose in your life? Well, on today's episode, Chris and I interview a man who has experienced just that. His amazing story will inspire and encourage you to look for this transformative power in your own life. Join us for this episode of Real Talk for Real Men, number 38. Welcome to the Real Talk for Real Men podcast. Lifestyle advice for men so powerful, you'll want to run your life on it. And now your hosts, Guy Mullen and Chris Field. Okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Real Talk for Real Men. I'm Guy Mullen. And I'm Chris Field. Great to be with you again. And we're back on the farm. Well, I like to call it a studio, but you call it a farm. I think it deserves to be called a farm. Okay, so uh, <laughs> hopefully we have too many roosters and, and disturbing us as we do the podcast, but we've got a very... We always say we've got a very important topic to talk about, but we really do have a very important topic today. We do, because I think one of the things that men will listen to our podcast for is to try and find solutions, to try and deal with issues in their life. And the ultimate dream of all of us is that we can actually get breakthrough, that we can be changed. Often it's our family or our spouse telling us that we have to. And that can be, for some people, can be their entire life's energy is spent trying to cross some hurdles that they can't cross over. And today we have someone that's been able to do that. We do. We have the privilege of having a friend and someone who actually goes to my church, which is pretty cool, Kevin Carroll. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Thank you very much. It's a blessing to be here. Okay, so my own introduction, I guess. Kevin wears a number of hats. So he's the principal of the Victoria Baptist Bible College uh, here in Melbourne. He's uh, also recently written his name down as an author in a book we're going to talk about a little bit later on. He uh, also runs tours to Israel, and most of the time you're a young person's child and young person's evangelist. That's true, yes, and um, good thing I've got a small head uh, to be able to fit all those hats on it. But, and in uh, your spare time, which you've now got a little bit more now you've finished your book, you love to play golf and an occasional game of tennis. I do, yes. I'm looking forward to a few more. Now yes, we, we'll get quite a few more in now that yeah, the book's finished. Yeah, i years waiting for you, but anyway, let's, let's get on with the, what we're talking about today. Indeed, indeed. Now, that, there's quite a few different hats that you're wearing, and being an evangelist, and you were a pastor in the church, yes. and, and you're currently a deacon, and... But your life wasn't always that way. You weren't always interested in the in the things of God, were Ab- you? Absolutely not, no. Um, let me summarise it by saying that, uh, well, by the way, I just turned 60 in January, for those of you who, who are wondering how old I am. Um, I only look 16, um, and that's the blessing of having a podcast. You can't see what a big liar I am. But, uh, yeah, I'm 60, and I came to Christ when I was 21 years of age. And so I'll slot that in right now so that you can sort of get the picture. So I've been walking with the Lord Jesus now for um, almost 40, 40 years. years yeah. um, and the 21 years prior to that uh, is what I'll basically share with you guys now and for those of you who are listening. So you're taking us back to the 1970s, really, are you? Very much so, and the 1960s even. Mm-hmm. Um, 1960s growing up, the 1970s were when I was a teenager, young adult, and um, the 70s were those years where um, behaviour was starting to fairly radically change in the community, um, and um, there were a lot of things happening in that regard. We're not talking about the... 
the big city, though. You grew up in a small town. I certainly did. And in southwestern Victoria. That's right. When, and when I, the great little name. Tell us the name of the town. The, the, the town's name is Tim Boone. And okay. it's funny, when I uh, ended up at Bible College and uh, I met a, a family uh, and uh, the daughter of uh, in this particular family, one of the daughters married a good friend of mine. And um, for about a year, they were calling me um, Tim. And I eventually discovered that uh, they thought my name was Tim. Because when I first introduced myself, I said that I was Kevin from Tim Boone. And uh, they didn't hear it uh, quite properly, and because their name was Coon, and um, so they had a brother whose name was Tim Coon, and so I was Tim Boone. And you know, in Australia, we had a, a, a cricketer um, by the name of Boone. Um, what was his first name again? David Boone. David Boone. So. Tim Boone, they, and until they found out that was where I came from. Well, Tim Boone, for those of you who need a bit of a um, orientation, is just inland from the Twelve Apostles down on the beautiful. We have international. We have international listeners. About half of our listeners are from, from, from America. So okay. Let's just say southwestern Victoria. Southwestern Victoria, and if you if you see beautiful pictures of Australia, you're likely to see a picture of the Twelve Apostles. It's a quite a stunning um, bit of coastline, and that's where I grew up on a dairy farm. And uh, yes, uh, I wasn't actually even in the town. And when we talk about a small town, people say, oh, you mean like ten or 15,000 people? I say, no, no, I'm in a small town, as in like seven or 800 people. And we didn't even live in the town. We were out on a farm and about 250 acres. Um, how many hectares is that? About 100 and 100, 120 hectares, you maths, but you didn't whatever. You didn't have any Christian background back at that stage. Absolutely not. I grew up... Uh, in a good home, but there was no religion of any kind. So no background at all? No, nothing at all apart from what I would have picked up in uh, RE classes in school. And there was one other uh, seed input uh, that I'll come back to in a minute. And if I forget, you'll remind me, please, Chris. But um, the first time I actually set foot in church willingly was maybe two weeks before I trusted Christ in 1979. So what was happening in your life leading up to all of that? You'd become a bit wild and woolly, had you? I certainly had, yes. Um, as I was sharing, I grew up on a, on a farm, a dairy farm, milking cows, and um, my parents were good people. I mean, moral people, honest people. Um, if you didn't know it, you would think that it was a deacon and his wife in, in a church. They were such honest, hard-working, good people, um, didn't swear, you name it. They they looked like Christians without... Uh, pretty with rare a, for a farmer in Australia. Pretty rare for a farmer. And they, they were a, a rare couple. And uh, they were a faithful couple to each other and all those sorts of things. Um, but when I was about six years of age, uh, on the next door neighbour's property, a little Sunday school outreach was commenced. Not sure how long it went for, may have only been a year, perhaps, I don't know. But uh, I was invited to that, and I attended, attended some of those little Sunday school um, outreach classes that they had. I can remember going there. I can remember singing action songs. Cannot remember any of the stories that I was told, but something must have stuck, obviously. But I know that I would have 
heard the truth of the scriptures as the word of God. I know that I would have heard a clear gospel presentation at some stage because I found out when I was 21 that the very man who led me to Christ was the one who ran that little Sunday school. Wow. So he'd sowed a seed in my life when I was six years of age. And you were getting moved about that nearly four Too years right. later. Yeah. Wow. So God works through little things and uh, as you faithfully sow the seeds, he's the one who gives the increase. Mm. And uh, we may not find out about those things until we get to glory. Mm. And so as... Um, Paul said in at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, you know, that we should continue our labours knowing that our labour in the Lord is not in vain. It always has a purpose. God's able to take it. And when when they closed down that little Sunday school, however long it went, they may have felt a failure. But God had used it to sow a seed now, there were other in a little boy's obviously. life. Obviously, other seeds have been sown in your life as well, and they took root for a while then. So yep. uh, what was happening in your, in your life then? Well, very few. By the way, were you one of just a handful of kids or the only child? No, no, there were five of us. Yeah. I had um, three brothers and a sister. I was the second youngest, and so we all worked on the farm one way or the other, went to school at, uh, at Tim Boone Consolidated and Tim Boone High School. And for such a small town, the schools were actually ginormous. Uh, there were over 1,200 in the primary school. The town's population was 700. You must have drawn from a big, wide area. We had, at one stage, 31 buses bringing children in from the farm in a, in a huge radius. There were six or 700 in the, in the high school and over a 1,000 in the primary school, all being bussed in from the farms all around. Mm. And uh, so uh, I actually got a very good education there. I uh, went through, uh, all the way through school, and um, uh, let me uh, try and cut it short. Um, as I ended into my teen years, um, I began to do what normal unsaved boys would do uh, I began uh, to swear I began to steal I began to smoke I began to uh, talk about sex I began to chase girls I began to drink all those things and uh, and and pursue them to the nth degree so by the time uh, I went uh, to university as an 18 year old um, I was tremendously, tremendously wicked. Uh, but at university, that was able to be completely unleashed. And um, so when I went to university, um, then I was um, living with girls at different times. I was um, involved, in, I be, in, was introduced to and be, became involved in the drug scene there. And... Uh, once the drugs got involved, I began to spiral downhill rather rapidly. And in fact, in second year of university, my senior lecturer came up to me and said, Kevin, said, look, um, last year you were a straight A student. Uh, this year, if things keep going as they are, you are going to fail every subject. 
and he said, you obviously need to take a, a, a step back. Why don't you defer and, you know, travel and find, you know, sort yourself out and then come back and take up where you left off otherwise, and that way you won't have any black marks against your name um, and you'll be able to take up without any problem. And so I took his advice and I began to travel. By the way, how did your parents cope with you going down that road? Were they horrified or they just thought that was normal for that era? Well, sadly, they, uh, apart from the dr- drug part, they didn't know about, okay, but the other aspects, they were aware that that's what fellows do. And um, even though they were quite moral, uh, they, they were not anti-immoral. Mm-hmm. And so they were just regular. They took you as you came. They took me as I came. They kept loving me through it. Um, and um, they uh, didn't have a lot of contact with me you know, during that time that I was in university and when I went travelling. So uh, as I uh, travelled and um, sort of searched around trying to find out what I was um, here for, and what was going on, the uh, the drugs really started messing with my mind. And a uh, guy would um, probably say, yeah, I'm, it's still showing the effects today. <laughs> but anyway, um, and I started having paranoid delusions. Uh-huh. Um, I had read Tolkien's um, Lord of the Rings, and I thought that it was like a prophecy, and that I, I think I was Bilbo Baggins, and a friend of mine uh, who was a, uh, a pretty cool, surfy guy who had uh, white hair. Uh, he's only in his 20s, but it was white, bleached white from being in the sun surfing so much. I thought he was Gandalf and all this sort of stuff. And um, my druggy, hippie, um, surfy friends eventually s- shunned me because I was even too far gone for them. To, to cope with and uh, no one would have me except my parents and um, that's, this is uh, you know, the short version obviously but um, only my mum and dad would have me I went back home uh, and I was living with them uh, still uh, doing the drugs I can remember one time ha- um, having a joint with a, a mate and we were playing a game of chess and I couldn't concentrate because the TV was on in the background and I was convinced that there was someone inside the TV with a gun trying to assassinate me. Because by this time I'd progressed from being uh, Bilbo Baggins, I was now the Antichrist and um, I was here to bring peace to the world and that all the forces of darkness and evil were trying to prevent me from bringing world peace. And, um, you know, here I am, I'm, and I thought, well, I'm just from a tiny little town, no one's ever heard of me, you know, that, that, that me or the town um, type thing. And people, uh, if you look at history of someone like George Washington and you ask, you know, what town did he come from? It was some little country town that no one's ever heard of. So I thought, well, I've got the qualifications. So I come from a little country town that no one's ever heard of. And I seriously, I've been reading Nostradamus nonsense and um, and I was thinking that I was going to be the one who would bring world peace. Well, um, I had a job that my dad had helped me to find with a, a local man in the town 
who just so turns out was a deacon in the little Baptist church there in the town. And uh, over lunch he would tell me about the Lord Jesus. And I would tell him about all my solutions to the world's problems and how I was going to solve them. And he one day said, Kevin, he said, you are just so weird. Are you on drugs or something? Now, for someone to say that today, that's it's nothing, okay? Uh, we're talking 1979 in a little country town. Uh, to um, ask somebody if they were on drugs in, in that context was like asking someone, um, now, are you a mass murderer? Uh, and he asked me that question, and I said, yes, I am. And he was completely gobsmacked that I had actually admitted to it. It's like admitting to, uh, and it was a serious crime in those days. And he said, oh, you need help. And I said, no, 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 I, I, um, I'm here to help you. And he said, would you be willing to meet with myself and your dad? And he said, have you told your dad that you're on your mum and dad? Do they know? I said, no, nope, but I'm going to go home and tell them right now. Okay. So he said, meet with me and your dad and um, a neighbour who was a Christian and this man who led that little Sunday school who was still around and um, he said, would you meet us on Wednesday night? And I said, sure. And he said, how about 7 o'clock on Wednesday night? Sure, no worries. I've got to go over back to where all my druggy mates are and sort out some things and I'll be back and I'll see you on um, on Wednesday night. Now, uh, the, the general context in which this happened too was that I had just resigned from my position working for him because I felt that... The time had come for me to start making my move towards becoming the Prime Minister of Australia and then eventually the, the world ruler. Got to start somewhere. So, Still like having some ambition. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> so anyway, um, uh, and because I was now going to be this special person and one of the things that I was really uh, started to become passionate about was truth. And so that very morning... You see, I had made a determination that from now on I was always going to tell the truth no matter what it cost me. So when this guy asked me, are you on drugs? First big test. Yes, I am. And so I turned up and they were amazed that I actually turned up. (laughs) Because imagine someone's just admitted that he's a criminal. He's not going to come turning up again and risk being arrested, but I did. And... uh, what I didn't find out for, a, didn't the penny didn't drop for some time, was that 7 o'clock Wednesday night, when he asked me to meet them, that's when the little church had their prayer meeting. So what I didn't know was that while we were having our, our meeting, the church was having their prayer meeting and were praying for us. So they sat me down and... I'd gone home and I told my mum and dad and their jaws just sort of dropped and they didn't know what to say. And I said, anyway, I'll be back on, and I'll see you on Wednesday, blah, blah, blah. And, I, and off I went. So he was my dad sitting there just in a daze. He would have been shell-shocked. He was, completely shell-shocked. Didn't know what to say. And um, uh, Johnny, uh, my boss, was there. And Gus, who'd run the little... Sunday school was there, and a fellow by the name of John, who was my mum, just 
happened to be my mum and dad's next door neighbour who was also a, a Christian and a member in the church. And so my mum and dad had been getting this influence and this witness from this lovely couple next door as well. It was all coming together. And so I sat down and they said, so Kev, tell us what's going on. And so I told them that uh, I believe that I had the answers to all of the world's problems and uh, that uh, I was making my first foray into it and telling the truth about the drugs was the first thing and blah, 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 and I'm going to continue on from here. And so they said, well, tell us, what, what are you, how are you going to solve the world's problems? What, what, are you, what have you got? And I said, well, first of all, people should tell the truth. People should always tell the truth. And they shouldn't steal. And they shouldn't kill. And <laughs> they... Uh, shouldn't cover. Um, I'm, I'm going. Shouldn't lie. <laughs> shouldn't lie. <laughs> and always tell the truth. Shouldn't lie. So I'm, so I'm, I'm going through these things. One of the guys had his Bible and he's going like this with his pointing with his finger as I'm talking. He's pointing at his Bible with his finger and nodding. And I'm thought, what is he doing over there? You know. And and I went in about five minutes. I'd finished my spiel. And they said, that is really, really good. And so I'm, my chest sticking out and I'm going, yeah, yeah, I, I've got my first disciples here, you know, and things are looking good, you know. And they said, that everything you said is really fantastic and is the answer to the world's problems. And I said, yeah, yeah, that's right. And they said, but do you realize the Lord Jesus already taught all those things in the Bible? I said, oh, you did? Well, he must be pretty cool if he thinks like I do. Now, how those guys kept their composure with this little upstart putting himself on the same plane as the Lord Jesus, who they loved, you know. And um, so they just took it on the chin and they just kept being gracious towards me. Excuse me, folks, you can can hear my tears dripping and a snort. You're going to edit that out, brother? But anyway, um, so... Uh, the Lord gave me really excellent tear ducts, folks. Um, so um, you men need to learn how to cry too, by the way. So um, uh, they said, the Lord Jesus already taught all these things. And in fact, we've just scratched the surface of his book, the Bible. There's so much more. Do you want to come back next week and see what else the Bible has to say? I said, well, so far it seems pretty good because it agrees with, agrees with me. <laughs> <laughs> and so I said, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll be back. So the next week I came back and we started a study. And our first study it was actually a navigator's study. Mm-hmm. Now the first study was, who is Jesus Christ? The second week, the, which was the third week, but the second week of the study was, who am I? And then the third instalment of the, of the third part of the study was, now that you know who Jesus Christ is and who you are, what are you going to do about it? And on the 29th of March, 1979, I got down on my knees and received the Lord Jesus as my Saviour. And went from an upstart who thought he was going to be the Antichrist to a humbled sinner who received Jesus Christ. And that was the greatest day of my life, most important day that anyone can have. One of our focuses here, of course, is the transforming power of Yes, life. absolutely. So 
a person describing the person you just described that you were yes these days would be on drugs they'd have a, a psychological label yes uh, they would be considered to be someone that was very very hard to maybe bring out from that mental state that they were in and everything else so, so what happened to you how quickly did all that stuff begin to resolve uh, near enough to immediately yep it took me a few weeks to stop smoking marijuana um, because um, I'd read something about how that God had made all the herbs of the fields, and um, <laughs> and so I'd use that somehow as an as an excuse that, that you know I'd, cigarettes I stopped them straight away, I knew they were bad for you. Alcohol stopped immediately. Immorality stopped immediately. Everything uh, immediately stopped. And there was this healthy weed. There it? was this healthy weed. <laughs> yes. In fact, are you familiar with um, the Rastafarians uh, yeah. reggae? Well. They smoke marijuana, and they say because your body is the temple of God, then you are burning incense oh, in the yes. temple. Yeah. <laughs> so I went along that road for a little while, and then realised it was so foolishness. Were you surprised by that transformation, or did you just take it I, I, I um, I didn't, I didn't realise that the transformation was happening. And let me tell you, and it's the, not the way, It's not the reason that you did it, though. I didn't do it to be able to get transformed. No. no. Um, I was, I was happily going along that road, thinking it was it was fine. It wasn't until I was confronted with who Jesus Christ is, mm. and who I am, and the reality of eternity, and the nonsense of the stuff that I had had believed, that I made a conscious decision to trust Him as my Savior and to not want to sin again, and He did the transforming and if i can share my testimony as to my baptism that will help you to understand the gist of what i'm getting at is that over those next six months or so um i felt like i was just struggling so much to be christ-like and um to mature as a christian but at my baptism um Gus, the man who led me to the Lord, who had that little Sunday school, because uh, after that meeting with my dad, then it was just Gus and one of, one of the other men who um, led me in that the Bible studies, um, and then um, Gus then uh, just one on one then discipled me uh, in the months that followed. Then uh, about six months later, uh, I was baptized and invited um, my family and my mum and dad came to my baptism. And Gus preached the message, and at the end of it, he gave a challenge to any Christians who were considering baptism to step forward for their Lord and, and to not be ashamed and to follow him in baptism. And he said, if that's you, come and stand over this side over here. And he said, then if there's anyone in our group this morning who uh, is not a Christian and wants to be born again and and have what uh, Kevin now has would you stand on this side and um, almost immediately that the song began my mum stepped forward and um, Gus's wife took her aside to counsel her and said so um, what do you want? What do you, what do you, you've stepped forward 
on that side because you want to become a Christian? She said, yes. And she said to my mum, why do you want to do that? And she said, I have seen the change that has come over Kevin's life and the peace that he has, the joy that he has, the purpose that he has, and I want that too. What I didn't know, well, what we did find out shortly afterwards, my dad was about to step forward too, but because mum beat him out the blocks, uh, he didn't step forward you know, to be seen to be doing it because she was doing it, but he started doing some studies with Gus and about three weeks later he trusted the Lord too. That's beautiful, isn't that wonderful? Just fantastic. But the, the, I say all that to answer your question, I didn't realise how much God was changing me, but my family the ones who knew me best, they noticed. They noticed. Mm-hmm. And the wonderful thing is they saw that only God could do it and they wanted it too. And so my mum and dad both trusted the Lord that year. So saved in March and the following uh, February I was in Bible college because well, what am I going to do with my life? So the thought was, well, um, I was going to, be the prime minister and change the world. <laughs> I was going to change the world so what better plan as a Christian than to change the world so um, the following year the beginning of 1980 I was at Victoria Baptist Bible College um, as ignorant <laughs> and as green as you could imagine isn't, isn't that fascinating though isn't that interesting that you had this before you became a Christian you had this passion you had this desire to have an impact on the world, to yes. change the world, yes. to to, um, to make it a better place. Yes. But it was but it was misguided. Yes. But it was there before. It was there and before. When you became a Christian, yep. the, the Lord just said, hang on, let's just redirect this exactly. in the right way exactly. and create uh, far more fruit than yep. what you ever could have before. Absolutely. And eternal fruit. Mm. Eternal fruit. fruit. And one of the things that I've said to people over the years, if I had have become the Prime Minister of Australia, I might have changed this nation in fact, at the age of 60, I'd probably be Prime Minister right about now. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Although, just announcing you Deputy Prime Minister. Yeah, there you go. You missed out. I missed out. But anyway, um, but even if I had become Prime Minister of Australia, I might change the country for a generation or two. Um, but it's not going to last. Whereas what I've been able to do for the Lord Jesus through the gospel ministry, uh, by God's grace, has had eternal impact. And from your own experience then, you you have absolute confidence that there is a transforming power. Not a religious conversion power, but an actual personally transforming power. It's a supernatural transforming power. It's it's not worked up. um, So this isn't isn't getting religion and starting to do religious works? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I'm very anti um, getting religion and doing religious works. It's it's a it's a life, it's a, a life with Christ. So for people listening to us, many of whom will be a Christian, but will still say, "I have I've got issues that I'm not getting breakthrough." Yeah, yeah. How would you encourage them? Well, I don't know uh, your personal situation, my friend. If you if you are having that struggle and you're listening to this conversation right now, but I do know my Lord Jesus, and I know that He is able. And ultimately, it is your willingness to let him do the work. Because while ever we're trying to do it in our own strength, we will fail. Now, it doesn't mean to say that we aren't 
expected to do something. And the story that I love to tell, uh, and I love to tell it when we're in Israel, looking over the Valley of Elah where David fought Goliath, and when we go down to the stream and pick up a, a rock from that same stream where David picked up his five stones, when David took those stones, went out to face that giant, and you can compare that giant to whatever it is in your life that is pulling you down and causing you this grief that you feel like you can't defeat. The, the, the bottom line, the answer is you can defeat it with God's help. And when David answered Goliath's taunts, he said, God is going to give the victory today. But then he didn't go over and sit on a rock. He went and collected some stones. He went and collected some stones. And I'll take it further than that. When he put the stone in his sling and he started swinging it around to sling the stone at, his he- at the, the giant's head, he wasn't thinking to himself, well, God's going to give this victory, so I don't even have to bother aiming. I'll just sort of sling it off and God will make sure. No, no. I've got no doubt that as David took that stone, put it in the sling, he lined him up and he took a few steps forward because the Bible says he ran at the giant. If you read the passage, he ran toward him and then he took dead aim as he's been practicing so many times. Yeah, he defeated lions and bears. Exactly. And time of Israel uh, looking after the sheep. So he was, he was practiced. He was an expert. He was an expert. He was using his preferred weapon. Yeah. He was using the weapon that God had given him the skill with. That's one reason why he put aside the sword that, um, that Saul had offered him to use, okay, because he'd not... Tested it. He wasn't skilled with it, but what he went to face the giant with with was the skill that God had given him to face the giant with. So, my friend, God has given you in your personality, in your ex- life experience, in in your uh, things that you've learnt, in your spiritual gifts. God has given you everything that you need to be able to, to defeat any giant that He will allow into your life. Because the fact is, God will not allow a giant into your life that you can't defeat. And the scriptures tell us that in First Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above that you're able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape. Now, sometimes if it's a temptation to sin immorally or do something else, the way of escape is on foot, get out of there. Mm-hmm. But when we're... Like Joseph did, exactly. But um, when we're facing a, a giant uh, such as an attitude that, we have to, that we're stuck with, that we've got to defeat and, and crush, but David took dead aim and he gave it his best. And my little saying is, you do your best and trust God for the rest. He'll do what you can't that do. That was Eric Liddell. That was his thing. Yes. He ran his best in the race yes. and trusted God for the results. Uh, exactly. And win, lose or draw... The results are up to God. We do the best with what he's given us. And when we do that, he can and will give us the victory over any issue that we have. Fantastic. Well, Kevin, it's really wonderful to be encouraged by your testimony. It really is just a delight to hear. And we just really, in this program, we really want to see guys find faith, find their confidence in God. Yes. And journey into what God has for them because it's so much better than anything they're going to build for themselves. Oh, absolutely. I can say amen to that. It's good you're talking about that because so often we tend to go to extremes. We either sit on our backside and think, oh, God will do it. I'll just wait. Wait on God. Yeah, we wait and see what God is going to do. Yep. Um, And then at other extremes, we can just go off (laughs) like a bull in a china shop and just try and get the results all through our own. It can be really difficult to... Absolutely, Ab- absolutely. Balance, balance, balance. 
uh, we one of the um, characteristics of our fallen state is that we are extremists. Mm. We um, either, as you say, sit and do nothing, or we try and do it all ourselves. And we we miss that biblical balance that David had of doing his best, no more, and uh, trusting God for the for, to do what He can do. By the way, the stone wasn't going to hit the giant. I don't know if you realise that he hadn't allowed for the wind. There was a little bit of wind had, had gusted up, and he hadn't quite allowed for it. An angel had to come in and just tap it a little bit this adjust way and the adjust the trajectory and made sure it hit. Because <laughs> <Tell me, laughs> <laughs> you guys are principal of the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I teach. Anyway, so but you see, it, once it left the sling, there was nothing David could do. God guaranteed that it hit the target. And my friend, you do your best with what God has given you to defeat your giant and God will take care of the rest. And I can just tell you from personal experience of the battles that I've faced in these almost 40 years now walking with the Lord Jesus that he is faithful and he has given and does give and will give the victories. Can I just suggest before we close that you just pray a really simple prayer for these people that they'll catch that spark of faith? Absolutely. Father, we thank you that we have this wonderful privilege of being able to come boldly to the throne of grace. Lord, you are a God who wants to help us in time of need. And I pray for each one listening uh, to this uh, broadcast, Lord. I pray personally for them that you would give them the confidence in you and, Lord, the willingness to simply trust you, to follow this biblical principle of doing their best with the skills and that which you've given them, but ultimately trusting you for the victory and taking that step of intelligent faith to trust an almighty God. Lord bless, we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, we haven't even talked about Kevin's book. We'll have to get you back, Kevin. Sorry so we're gonna, about that, mate. We're, we're going to have to get you back, and we're going to talk about your book. With pleasure. I'll give you a little bit of a hint of what, what it is. Uh, the Essential Bible Insights, a study of manners and customs of Bible times. And so it's a wonderful book. Yes, and uh, you need to listen to this because it is a book and a subject that every Christian, every Christian should be very, very familiar with. And the reason is... Well, don't tell us the reason. They have to come back. So, <laughs> I, was, I wasn't. I was about to go... So, so that's a big statement, a bold statement to say that every Christian, besides their Bible, they need to have this book as well. So you'll now you know who Kevin is, you'll need to come back and look out for that show and we will go through that book and why it is so important. So Kevin, we're looking forward to talking to you again. Thanks for being I'm program. looking forward to being back with you guys again and seeing what else the Lord can do. Okay, so uh, don't forget to um, come over to the website. You'll find some, um, some show notes over there, www.realman247.org. And uh, do subscribe. You can do that through Podbeam, through iTunes, through Android, through Google Play. Or you can just stream it on our web on our web pages. Maybe you're doing now. Whatever it is, tell your friends, and we'll see you next time. Bye for now. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Real Talk for Real Men podcast at www.realmen247.org.